We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. Second Chronicles chapter 7, as uh, today we finish up the portion in which Solomon uh, has been dedicating the temple. And we read here in verse 1, notice it says, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. Kind of cool, huh? Can you guys visualize that? When he finished praying, the fire came down and consumed that burnt offering. You know, it's interesting. Back in chapter 5, verse 1, uh, the work for the house of the Lord was finished. And so that's one thing. But here we read of something else that was finished. It was when Solomon had finished praying. You know, some people have a hard time even starting to pray. Uh, some people, Jesus said, faint when they pray. But I love what we read right here. Solomon finished praying. He prayed the way he was supposed to. He prayed ob- obediently. He prayed appropriately. You know, and I think it's a lesson, you know, because a lot of people, it's funny, man, they, they can blame other people, they can blame their spouse, they can blame their pastor, they can blame their circumstances, and, and they're like, man, I don't see a fire. I mean, there's not like a fire. Where's the fire? And God is just saying, well, there needs to be a fire in your prayer life. You want a fire? Pray. Start praying. Pray the way you should and finish praying. Pray you know, with the heart that you have, the, the quantity that God desires. I mean, the Lord told Peter straight out. He said, what's wrong with you? Can't you even pray for an hour? I mean, a lot of times I think Christians, and we're going to see it in, in our study today, you know, God makes things so simple for us. It's not complicated, but we keep, you know, just kind of going through the same thing. We're not blessed, we're bummed, and we like to blame everyone else. And God is just saying, why don't you get on your knees and start praying the way that you should so that fire can come down? That's what happened right here. When Solomon finished praying, I love it. Here, it just, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the the burnt offering and the the sacrifice. You know, I want to just... May you know not beat you up, but hopefully challenge you. Hopefully it'll be convicting. Hopefully you'll say, "Wow, you know what? It really is pretty cool being able to talk to God." And you go and you get blessed when you're there. This is just a battle to get there. It's a battle sometimes when you're there because you're distracted, and when it's time to get up and go to work or go to school or whatever it is, you know when you leave that you didn't really finish well. Here Solomon finished praying. I want to encourage you guys to do the same. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. You guys, don't lose heart. You know, don't stop. Don't faint. You know, I'm always reminded, I was reading even today about blind Bartimaeus. When he heard Jesus was in town, when Jesus was walking by, he couldn't see him, but he knew he was there. And so he cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody told him, be quiet. You know, stop shouting, you know. And you know what he did? When they were trying to discourage him from praying, he prayed even louder. 
And he got the Lord's attention, and the Lord came to him. He said, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus said that I may see. Lord, Rabboni, that I may see. You know, what would you say if the Lord came to you and said, what can I do for you? What, what is your prayer request? What is the exact details of what you want? You know, Solomon was asked the same thing, and he knew exactly what to ask for wisdom. You know, I, I think that for some of us here, you know, we need to get in tune with the Lord to know exactly what to ask for. Don't be discouraged. Don't let anybody stop you from praying. Finish your prayer life. If you want that fire in your life, you might want to start a fire in your prayer life, right? In the book of Acts chapter 2, the Bible talks about in chapter 1 verse 14 that they continued with one accord and they were there in prayer and supplication. And then in chapter 2 in verses 1 through 3, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. You know, it's kind of funny. I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but some of the young adults, they're, they're kind of cool. And that those, they'll just share things, you know. And they were telling me that not too long ago, they were having a bonfire. And it, was, it wasn't at the beach. It was at someone's house. And uh, there was a saying that they were having a hard time starting a fire. And so one of the gals were saying, hey, I don't get it. You got eight, guy, eight guys here and you can't start a fire, you know. It was kind of funny. Anyways, um, uh, I, I was just thinking about that, how, you know, that can be a challenge, if you know what I'm talking about, to get that fire going, to get it started, you know. And that is a physical illustration of what can happen, I think, spiritually. Some of our prayers are so cold, they couldn't start a fire, even though our lives depend on it. You know, there's not a hint of heat. There's not even a speck of a spark. And I wonder if anyone here might confess to that being the truth in their life. You know, and you're wondering, what's missing? The fire's missing. Why is the fire missing? Because you're not in right relationship with God. Well, how do you know? I go to church. I serve. I try. Do you pray? It's simple. I don't know what you need to do, you know, turn off your phone, turn off your television, turn on the alarm clock. I don't know what we need to do, but whatever we need to do, whatever we need to slice out, it is important. Everybody knows it. Christians pray, and so we need to have that life. I, I've always loved that, that scripture. Watch, uh, leave your marker here, and just real quick, go over to the first book of the Bible, Revelation. Chapter 8, just joking. Revelation 8 is the last chapter, last book of the Bible. Remember this one in verse 3, Then an angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. I, I think the Bible clearly teaches that our prayers, they rise as incense before God, right? And so the prayers are going up. It says, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar. There's the fire from the altar, and he threw it to the earth. I love that. And there were noises and thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. I, to me, I've always seen this as prayer going up and answers going down. And there's a fire there, and there's, there's thunder, and there's lightnings, and there's earthquakes. Why? 
because the people are praying. And so I just want to encourage you guys in that. I know we hear it a thousand times, but you know, when Solomon, you know, prayed, the father sent fire down to consume the burnt offering. And of course, we know what that really means. In this case, the fire represents God's divine approval and his acceptance. One of the things you got to know about God is he likes his food hot, kind of like my father-in-law, man. And he likes it burnt, too, by the way. <laughs> and, um, and, and seriously, you know, when you look at this, when you see that burnt offering there, and God's the fire coming down and consuming it, it, uh, it must have been so amazing. God loves an offering, the burnt offering. The burnt offering is not the tithe. Okay, the tithe is the ten percent that you give that you're supposed to give. The offering is when you go above and beyond what's required of you. God just loves that. And here we see as a result of that that it's acceptable and uh and he shows the fact that it's accepted by him. Now, of course, we know this is not the first time such an awesome occurrence takes place. When the priestly ministry began, fire came down from heaven to consume the burnt offering and sacrifice. In Leviticus 9.24, we read that. And we also know when David offered sacrifices to end the disastrous discipline, we read in First Chronicles 21.26 that the fire came down and consumed the offering as well. And for those of you who study your Bible, you know that later it's going to happen again to the ministry of Elijah at a time when God was calling his people back, right? And he was calling them back to himself. And we read in 1 Kings 18, 38. I love what Elijah said. Let me read it to you. It says, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Let me just pause there for a moment. I would venture to say that there are some people here, your hearts need to turn, be turned back to the Lord. He doesn't just want your money. He doesn't just want your head. He doesn't just want your hands. He wants your heart. And our hearts so easily wander. And they're so restless in this world until they really are resting in God and God's calling them back. We read that whole setting over in, in 1 Kings, and it's interesting to me, it was a time when there was a drought in the land, right? There was no rain. Elijah said, hey, there's not going to be any rain until I say so. God was calling them back. God was disciplining them. And so what ends up happening, he says, and then as he prayed that prayer, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. And I like what the Bible says, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. You know, not that God, you know, literally eats it, but it's like you see him there, like just like totally, totally accepting that sacrifice. Let me tell you something. You know, you might come today to church and, and you might give $10,000. And, you know, that would probably be cool. We might get an extra speaker if you do. I don't know. <laughs> You know, um, but you know what the Bible says? The sacrifices of God are broken and contrite heart. These, O oh Lord, you will not despise or you will not look down on. You know, if you come today and you're like all that, you're like, I'm pretty good guy. You got it all together and you're just like Mr. Obedient with a capital O and, and you're not coming in honesty 
broken and contrite, confessing your sins, and you're in trouble. But when you come like that, and that remember the, 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 the man that said, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner? Remember that? The Bible says that God heard his prayer and that, and that he went home justified. See, that's where it starts. We got to get right with the Lord. We have to be honest with him. We have to stop, you know, playing the game or putting on a show, pretending that we are, you know, Mr. Obedient when sometimes we're not. You know, here when they came, God accepted. God was cool. You know, God came and the fire came and licked everything up as a result of their prayers. It's just so beautiful. And then what happened, it says in verse 1, And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests that could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And so the glory of the Lord, it filled the temple so that the priests could not even enter the house of the Lord. Now, remember when we started this service, something similar happened uh, back in chapter 5, verse 14. But this one's different. Um, here, there's a fire. Um, here, we see the glory of the Lord is not just in the temple, it's on the temple. And, and here the people fall to their knees in worship. And in chapter 5, they sang the song before the glory came. Here they sing the song after the glory came. And so let's just say you park your car out there and you're on your way into Calvary Chapel, Almani, although it doesn't look exactly like a temple. You know, but let's just say you were there, we're all there. And, and you know, um, all of a sudden we saw like the fire of God, the glory of God come down on this building and 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 then and you saw it and and what you did what what they did was they all fell to their knees it says on the pavement and that would be the outer courts and 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 they fell down and they all just they all just worship fell on their knees imagine us worshiping outside in the parking lot kind of that'd be kind of cool huh people would think we're weird but if it was sincere it came from god then we would actually be in one sense emulating what they were doing here. You know, and this right here is what God does. He solidifies, he signifies the establishment of a new and acceptable altar of worship. Um, the same thing happened at the completion of the tabernacle back in Exodus 40, 34 through 35, where Moses wasn't able to enter the tabernacle of meaning. And so you're like, well, why? Why is that? Why did the, you know, and then some churches, have you guys ever been to a church where they have smoke machines? No? Yes? Okay. I would like to ask you about that one day. I wonder what it would be like. I, I know uh, there were the day, and I, I don't think it's ever happened in the Calvary Chapel, at least not that I know of, but where they would have the smoke machines, you know, just to kind of give it that visual effect. But imagine really the glory of the Lord. and I, And I'll bet you, it wasn't like, you know, the smoke that you get from, you know, you're burning your food or anything like that. 
it must have been awesome. I bet you almost anything, it, it felt good. If they were able to feel it, I bet you it smelt good. If they were able to smell it, I bet you it looked good. I bet you there was a, I mean, there's no, no smoke on earth like it, like a glow. It must have been just absolutely amazing. Imagine that, seeing that. But but there was something about it. It wasn't like a smoke that you could just walk through. You know, because otherwise I think they would. I think they would walk through it and they'd be like, what's going on here? It, it just couldn't. It was a glory. It wasn't just a smoke or a mist. It was a glory that wouldn't allow them. It would not allow them into the temple. The, the ones that were in in chapter 5, they were thrust out. And the ones that tried to get in here in chapter 7, they couldn't go in. And of course we know it was God saying, I'm accepting this altar. It's a, it's a new work that he said, I, I'm willing to accept. But I think there's also a message here in that God is communicating the fact that it's a work of God and not a work of man, right? That no man is allowed in there. You know, when the Lord appeared to Moses, he said, take your sandals off your feet because you're this is standing on holy ground. The sandals are symbolic of the work of man. No, this is the work of God, right? And here we see that just coming through, it's a public statement that this is the work of man. I mean, it's the work of God, so that for a time the priests weren't allowed to minister. God was sending a message, you know. And I, and I, I don't know about you, but I find comfort in that. Do you? Do you find comfort in that, that you are the work of God? Do you know that when you were in your mother's womb, he knit you together? And he said, I need this one a little taller. You know what? I need this one a little wider or whatever, browner. I don't know. I need this one with some blue eyes and that one with brown hair and a big smile. And I need that one, you know. And he just created us with a, just all the different ways that he made us when he knit us together in our mother's womb. And then just working on us all throughout our life, all the things that you've gone through in life. You know, you might say, Lord, that's not right. I don't think this was good. But I'm telling you this, that you're a masterpiece because you're in God's hands. And is it take all those different things that you've gone through, even some of your failures that you've gone through. You know, I know some people, they had a divorce or maybe even another divorce. And then they got married and then they realized because of their mistakes, they, they have a, a, a better marriage now. They learn from their mistakes because they put God in the center. I'm telling you this, that no matter what it is that you've gone through, is God's able to take it all and God is able to, to make something marvelous in it. And not only that, he's working on you and he's chiseling things away. The trials that you're going through, the difficulties that you're going through, those are all, I mean, it's God, it's the gift of God upon your life. You know, the trancasos, you know, the, the discipline all that is God molding you and making you, God shaping you. You are God's workmanship. Aren't you glad that you're not Manny's workmanship? I mean, aren't you? You guys would be really messed up if you were mine or Chuck's or Rawls or Greg's or Billy Graham's or any other man. No, you are God's workmanship. That should bring comfort to you, and that brings comfort to us who are ministers. Because when this thing was set in motion, and when it was established, God said, no men are in here. No men can come in here. What he was doing was he was sending 
a message, right? That this is the work of God. And isn't that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7, when some were saying, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ, right? I mean, they're making all these divisions. And then Paul just writes in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believe, just through whom you believe. As the Lord gave to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants, yeah, like this, is anything, nor he who waters, nothing but God who gives the increase. You know, I just love that message and just how beautiful it must have been. And we're going to see it's going to happen again in Ezekiel 43 verse 5 where the glory of the Lord will fill the temple. And so we read there in verse 3, the latter part, as they're on their on the pavement <laughs> worshiping, they're praising the Lord, and they are saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And so God is good, huh? All the time. All the time. God is good. Except for today. When my boss got mad at me. Except for the day when I went to the task guy, I found out I owe $1,700. You know, except for when this happened, or when that happened, or what about that day, or what about that night, what about him, or what about her? You know what? When you start believing the lie that that's not going to be good for you, then you're in big trouble. But when you believe this, that all things work together for good, to those who love God and are called according to His purpose, you're never in trouble. You see, this right here, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever, is a phrase that you're going to find just woven throughout the Scriptures. I don't know for sure if it originated with David, but I know for sure it was made famous by David. We're going to see that later. If you read Psalm 136, it's there in every single of those 26 verses. And it's something that I would say for us as Christians is a real fundamental truth to hold on to. Because you go through life, you go through hard times, you experience things that when you isolate them, they seem bad. But you have to know that God is good and His mercy endures forever. It's important. You know, it's interesting that Jesus said no one else is good but God. He said that in Luke eighteen nineteen. So did David in Psalm 14, 3. So did Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. You know, the, the, the Lord, He is good, and He's able to take all that we go through and make it work together for good. I mean, do you guys know God is good? Are you sure? Psalm 145, verse 7, it says, They shall utter the memory of your great goodness. I like that. They shall sing of your righteousness. Psalm 145, verse 9, The Lord is good to all. Just in case you're thinking, Well, He's good to him or her and them, but not me. No, He's good to you too. And then we read in James 1.17 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from our Father. No matter what happens, Stand on the truth that God is good. Now here's something. It says His mercy endures forever. Now we normally use the New King James Version, right? Do you guys normally use that? Some of you might have a different translation. If you do, 
Almost every other translation doesn't use the word mercy. It uses the word love. Did you know that? The Hebrew word kased, it probably should be translated love. And this is an important truth for us. The American Standard says his loving kindness. The ESV, his steadfast love. The NIV, his love. The NET, his loyal love. The NLT, his faithful love. And so really the truths that they're praising God over is that God is good all the time and his love, his love will never ever die. And you could run as far as you want and God's love will chase you down. God will never stop loving you. And, and when you understand that, as a matter of fact, it's interesting, the context here is, is almost like, Lord, we've blown it. You know, as a country, as a nation, as a man, we've fallen short. Uh, um, but, but Lord, we want to return to you. You read through the judges and you see how bad Israel was. They were bad. You know, Saul is still, you know, way out there. David's reeling them back in. And by the time they come to Solomon, they come to that place where God actually receives them again. He forgives them again. He sets them on a rock again. He puts them in right relationship with him again. Maybe you need that tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you've blown it. You messed up. And I don't know how and I don't know where, but you know the Lord does. And, and, and just to be able to conceive of that thought that that man, God has made it clear that I am now in right relationship with him. That someone like me, I'm now right, boom, back on that, on that rock in that place. I don't know about you, but what it did for them is it just brought them to a place of worship. For the Lord is good. And his mercy, his love endures forever it endures through all our frailties all the ways that we fall short he wears us down with his steadfast love you see this is prayer answered the temple ministry and ministers were accepted by the lord they were forgiven it was available through what the temple symbolized and and you can read that in first kings chapter 9 verse 3 and and you guys know that the temple, it points to Jesus. Did you guys know that? In John chapter 2, verse 21, Jesus talked about that. When the religious leaders came to him, they said, Hey, what sign do you show to prove that what you're saying is true? And to, you know, doing all these things, you're driving people out of the temple. Who are you? What's the sign? And he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And they said, Hey, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. What are you talking about? But he says that it was signifying that the temple was in reference to his body. And see, the temple is in reference to Jesus Christ. You know, as we have this relationship with Jesus Christ, then we can be in right relationship with him. And we can be forgiven and we can be accepted, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, in the Beloved. We are accepted in Christ. It points to Jesus, but in one sense it also points to us. Look at verse 4. It says, And then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. 
King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. And so it's interesting how the temple points to Jesus. The temple also points to us. And I think these are fundamental truths that Christians really need to know. Like where is God? You guys know that he's omnipresent, right? You guys know that? That when you go and you're yelling at your wife or whatever, you're yelling at the guy on the freeway or, you know, you're mad at the person, a jack-in-the-box who just cut in your line and you're because you want a cheeseburger so bad and now, you know, you're all upset or whatever. They didn't make your drink right at Starbucks or they left something out in the fries when you went to In-N-Out and you're so frustrated because you were looking forward to eating those fries. I don't, I don't know, you know, what it, what it is, but you guys know that God is everywhere, right? But there is also something about that that special manifest presence when his people get together or two or three are gathered together in his name. You know, we don't have a temple. The the Mormons, they have a temple. And they, they spend millions of dollars on their temple, right? And, you know, some of them might look at that and they say, wow, that's amazing, right? But what we find is that God doesn't live there. God God doesn't live there. God inhabits the universe, God fills the universe. Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. And what we find today, you guys, as you go through the Bible, the tabernacle is where God lived, right? When we have the tabernacle, it was a testimony. It was a picture. It was a visual of God living there. And then later, the Temple of Solomon, right? And then that temple was then, you know, destroyed, rebuilt by Zerubbabel. It was expanded by Herod. But then when Jesus came... He was the temple because God lived in him. God showed us who he was through Jesus. And now what God does, because Jesus isn't here in bodily form, right? What God shows today is that he lives in the temple of his church. Okay? And he lives in us congregationally as a congregation. And he lives in us individually. And so you guys... We know this, right? The church is God's temple and the people are God's temple. In one sense, this dedication was kind of like that presentation we read in Romans 12, verse 1. You know, like a building, we make the building and we say, Okay, God, this building will be exclusively used for you. Okay, we're not going to do any dances here, you know, for the city of Almani or, or, you know, quinceañeras or whatever. You know, we're not going to do any weird things in here. This is your building, right? In one sense, that's kind of what God wants us to do with our bodies, right? Romans 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so just as they're dedicating the temple to God exclusively for Him, making that covenant, you and I are to dedicate our bodies to the Lord. The word dedicated means to devote, to devote to a particular task or purpose. You know, this person, everything about me, my body, from the womb to the tomb, from the top of my head to the tips of my toes, all the way into the deepest recesses of my heart, we must be dedicated to God, right? And that's what he's saying right here is they're offering these sacrifices, right? Imagine that, 22,000 bulls and, you know, 120,000 sheep, the people, the king, 
dedicating this house to God. And so we read in verse 6, And the priests attended to their services, the Levites also with instruments of music of the Lord, which King David had made to praise the Lord, saying, For his mercy endures forever. Interesting. Whenever David offered praise by their ministry, the priests sounded trumpets opposite them, while all Israel stood. And I don't know if you guys can follow this or not, but it kind of began with God moving in the heart of David and Solomon. He started stirring things up for them, right? I want you guys to build me a house, right? And then the people responded to that by building the temple. So as they're building the temple, next thing you know, Solomon's praying to dedicate the temple, right? And then God moves. It's kind of like God moves, then man moves. Then God moves, then man moves. It's kind of cool the way the relationship is happening, right? Then the fire falls. And then next thing you know, there's worship and sacrifice. And there's service that we read about right here. And there's singing that we see. And, and it's so cool, huh? The, the way that it works. I wonder, like, where you're at right now. Like, is it your move? Or is it God's move? Like, is God moving? Are you building? Are you praying? Is fire falling? Are you serving? Are you sacrificing? Are you singing? So that God can then, boom. It's really cool when you see how this relationship works, right? And here we see they're serving and singing and worshiping and everyone has a part. The king, the people, the priests, the Levites, the present and even the past. It's amazing to me how David is brought up right here. And you guys got to know this, right? That David's love for the Lord, his past praise to the Lord, even the instruments that he made specifically to worship the Lord, the songs that he wrote, I mean, that all had an impact, not only in his generation, but in all the generations after. You guys know that? You see how much of an impact that you can have if you have that type of heart, like Acts 13.22, David was a man after God's own heart. You know, um, I, I mean, I love reading, any of you here like reading Spurgeon? You guys like C.H. Spurgeon? He's dead, he died a long time ago, but he is still being used by the Lord in a, in a powerful way. You know, everybody has a legacy, question is what what type of legacy what type of impact you know there's other people that are impacting the world today i think of one man um what's the guy's name i can't think of it right now the charles darwin yeah and he has an impact right what's your impact what's going to happen when you die and, and it, all i can say is that if it's real if it's a real walk with the Lord, holiness, purity, praying, passion, obedience, surrender, sacrifice, completely given to God, then you will impact the generations to come for good. But if not, you know, your influence is not only bad now, it will follow you after you die. What will your kids say? What will your grandchildren say? What would the people around you that watch you live your life say? When I read this right here about David, I'm thinking, man, this guy, David, 
he really had an impact. I mean, he's found close to a thousand times in the Bible, named by name, 66 times in this book, Second Chronicles, and he's not even alive. You guys, the Lord will honor your labor of love. And I pray that you would have a heart that says, I really do want to impact the world. I really do. Now here we read, it says that King David made these instruments of music to praise the Lord. And uh, he said that for his mercy endures forever. Who knows, maybe he wrote that song. Um, there's a song by Chris Tomlin. It's called, uh, you know, Your Love Endures Forever, something like that. And forever, and it's a really, really cool song, and people sing it. That's probably what happened with David here, and it continued to carry on, right? I mean, all these guys singing, serving. Notice that they have the trumpets there at the end of verse 6. According to chapter 5, verse 12, there were 120 trumpeters. Man, imagine how, much, how awesome that must have sounded, right? I mean, it must have been like soul reformation, man, a hundred times over, right? And so we read in verse 7, Furthermore, Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord, for there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of peace offerings, because the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat. And so, what an awesome day, man. So many sacrifices are being made. Now, this is a side note. You know, I know you guys don't bring sheep, right? You don't bring oxen. You don't bring, uh, you know, birds, you know, to sacrifice to the Lord. But you do you bring other sacrifices, huh? I mean, you guys know about that word sacrifice, huh? You know, I think that sometimes Christians don't. They're like, well, if it's convenient, you know, I'll be able to, to serve. You know, if it fits in my, my schedule or if it's in the budget or, or whatever the case may be. And there's no true sacrifice being made. I just love it when you see the, all these people here, Solomon and all these people just loving the Lord and willing to make those sacrifices for the kingdom of God, right? I mean, as so many sacrifices are being offered by the people that they need another place and need more space to meet the need for all these sacrifices. 144,000 by Solomon alone. And I like the way that it mentions the fat right there. Because doesn't that remind you of the good old days, you guys? When you used to eat the fat. How many of you here remember those days, right? And I remember I used to get that fat, not the rubbery kind, kind of the softer fat, if you know what I'm talking about. And anyways, the Lord knew it wasn't good for them. And so he said, hey, that fat belongs to me. You know what that symbolizes? The best. I give to God the best. I don't give him my leftovers. I give him the best. I don't give him the things that I was going to throw out on the street right there and put a, yay, put a little sign right here free. No, I give him the best that that's what they were giving to god they were giving the burnt offerings which symbolized a complete consecration and so it was all burnt they were giving peace offerings which uh, speaks of the fellowship offering and what that was when you would take it to the lord a portion would be given a portion to the priest but a portion you would actually be able to keep for yourself 
and you need to be able to eat. And what it was is you sit down, you have a meal, and you eat with God. So as fellowship offering, and then there's the grain offerings, which is symbolic of service, baked goods or in its raw form. But in all these ways, uh, a lot of food, a lot of fellowship. It was a meal with a meaning, uh, like we read earlier. God is good, amen? God is good. And just in case you're wondering, because I don't know. I mean, you know, yeah, we're watching our weight and stuff. Um, but, you know, there's time to eat, huh? You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's times uh, of feasting and grubbing. Uh, just in case you're wondering, Jesus liked to eat. Did you guys know that? He wasn't a vegetarian, okay? <laughs> he wasn't vegan or whatever, man. Uh, they even called him a glutton in Matthew eleven nineteen and Luke seven thirty four. Not that he was a glutton, but I just know that he did eat meat, food, and fellowships, potlucks. They were cool with him, man, you know? And so here they are, all these uh, offerings in verse 8. It says, and at that time Solomon kept the feast. There it is, that word, seven days. And all Israel with him, a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath uh, to the brook of Egypt. So that's like the top north uh, east uh, to the bottom southwest. And on the eighth day, they held a sacred assembly for they observed the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents joyful and glad of heart for the good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people. There's that word good again, huh? And thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. And so what you find right here is that, man, the, the, just the way that the Lord is, you know, someone might look at such a solemn and sacred assembly and they would say, like, how can they be so happy? You know, they're supposed to be Christians. <laughs> and how can they be so, you know, they're just eating, right? I mean, they're having this feast. It's a, it's a Christian assembly. Well, that's how the Lord is, you guys. I mean, there's a time for fasting and there's a time for feasting. And what you find in the Lord, man, is that He is so good to us. You know, God gets blessed when we rejoice. Uh, good times like this that are centered on Him, I believe, are something that He wants for us. So this morning I was reading in my devotions and Psalm 86 verse 4, kind of the same thing. It says, Rejoice the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And what is He praying? He's praying there like the New Living Translation says, um, uh, give me happiness, O Lord. Give me joy, for I give myself to you. Right? And that's where it is. You don't need to go get high. You don't need to go get drunk. You don't need to tell dirty jokes. You know, to find that, that smile, that joy, that happiness even. It's all found in the Lord. Right? When you give yourself to God, it's then and only then will you be happy, right? And so God gets blessed in this. And they're here feasting for 15 days. Imagine that. Yeah, you think they put on any weight? 
someone was telling me that they went on a cruise uh, not too long ago. Have you guys ever gone on a cruise? How much weight did you gain when you were there? Because <laughs> they were just talking about how the the food is free and it's there like all the time, right? And in one sense, that's where they were. And so you see, you know, what happens, man, the, just the series of events. But then we close with God now appearing to Solomon after all this. And some say it was 13 years later. I, I don't know. You know, but the Lord comes in verse uh, uh, 13 or verse 12 and says, And then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night, and he said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. You know, before it's kind of a general thing, you know, the fire, the feasting. I believe God was, was, was cool with them. But now it gets specific as God appears to Solomon for the second time. You know, and one of the things that you'll find in the ancient Eastern covenants at this day is there would always be the ratification of the covenant with conditions, right? Um, the blessings would become effective if the subservient party would stay loyal to the, the king or whoever was in charge. And then curses would begin to fall or expected to fall on those who did not line up with the commands of the king. And this is exactly what we see here, you guys. As, uh, as you enter into his covenant with God, as you enter into a relationship with the Lord, I think that we have to know that, that you, and, you and I, we have a responsibility, you guys. And you see the word if there in verse 14? It's a big word, if. You know, and, and we're going to see it with Solomon, uh, unfortunately. You know, I don't know, when you, when you read the Bible, if you read of people who started off as, as well as he did. I mean, we're talking about his start, and this guy started off so well. Maybe you started off well in your Christian walk. You know, you were like right on target. You were on fire. You are on fire. Maybe you still are on fire. But it's not over. There's still an if. There's still an if. You know, maybe one day you're going to find yourself disciplined and, and God's going to give you this promise. And you say, listen, if you come back, I'll tell you what, I'm going to bless you. And that's where he begins with Solomon. He begins there, right, with that element. You see, the Lord appears to him and he says, man, I've heard your prayer in this temple. I tell you what, Solomon, I am going to accept it, man. And I, I, when people pray here, let's just say they get, you know, the people and God's looking down the corridors of time and he knows that they will. And then I have to discipline them and shut up heaven, no rain or the locusts come or pestilence comes. He says there in verse 14, there, here's the thing, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. 
then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You guys don't need anybody to, to break that down for you. You don't. You don't. You don't. If you can read English or whatever, if you can read that, you don't need anybody to break that down for you any further. God is telling you how forgiveness and healing will take place in our life. You know, we look at our country, you might look at your family or whatever your situation is. It might even be your church. I don't know. And you might, you might think, man, they're all messed up. I can't believe it, you know. And, and they're so bad. And, and we look at our nation and I, and I, and I know that we have a, a bad president. I know that. I know that. That guy, he's, he's heading for some, some, some very, very big judgment. We have leaders and we have judges that are doing things today that ought not to be done. We, I know that. And there's a lot of bad, and you can go to you know, Hollywood and the, the gay community and whatever it might be. You know, you're looking at everybody and you're just saying, they're messing up our country. But you want to know something? When I read this right here, I don't read that. God said, if my people, that's, that's the believer. If my people who are called by my name, if they get their life right. And by that, you guys, I'm talking, we're talking about really getting your life right. We're talking about really humbling ourselves, really praying, really seeking God's face, really turning from our wicked ways. See, and when you read the promise right here, then God says, I'll, I'll heal the land, I'll forgive them of our sins. I pray that it would motivate us. I pray that it would move us to a place of, of purity. You know, I know a lot of times, and, and it could be, you know, your the, the people that you live with or the people that you work with, because they're the ones that you see every day, right? And it's almost like they're the ones that are, you're like, it's all their fault, man. If only I worked in a Christian environment, right? Or if only all the people in my house were like, you know, Paul the Apostle and uh, Mother Teresa or something, I don't know, you know, then I would be fine. But but guys just say, no, it's it's you, you want to know something that's really interesting in the Bible? And sometimes I think we have our greatest struggles at home. At home. And you know what? It's interesting to me how when you look at all the cities in the promised land, the, the one city that they couldn't conquer was Jerusalem. They couldn't conquer it. They couldn't get things right amongst the Jebusites. They could not drive out the Jebusites. Even Caleb got Hebron, but he couldn't conquer the Jerusalem. He couldn't conquer the home. He couldn't make the home the Lord's, the home. And it's like, you know, sometimes I think and I, and I, and I just talk to people and you see the different situations that are going on and they're pretty good at church. I mean, they're pretty good at church and you know, they, they do ministry and, and they, got, they wear the t-shirt and, and they got the bumper sticker and all that. They got the Christian ringtones and all that. But, but, but their house, the, the real, like, and I, not, not, this morning I was reading that, not just Jerusalem, your house, but your heart. 
God says, I want to conquer that. Because what he's talking about here in verse 14, he's not talking about the casual Christian. He's not talking about the carnal Christian. He's not talking about the half-hearted Christian. None of that. He is talking about the wholehearted Christian who prays, who seeks God's face, who turns from their wicked ways, who humbles himself. God says, that's the one that I'll bring healing through. And that's uh, such a huge if, you know. It, it really is. Look what he says next. Now my, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place, you know. I, I like the word now. We're going to see it again in verse 16. Now, God says, okay, now. Now we're starting something new. If you're here today and you haven't been walking with the Lord, and you haven't been right with the Lord, you haven't been praying, you haven't been seeking the Lord, you haven't been repenting of your sins, now, let's start something new. Now, God says, I'll start something new with you. And my eyes will be attentive. My ears, they'll, they'll be concerned. They'll care. You know, for now, I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually when god speaks of his eyes he speaks of his attention when he speaks of his heart he speaks of his concern see and that speaks of us i think congregationally and also personally do you guys know this and again another christian fundamental that um that that just is so important that true obedience brings true blessings. You guys know that, right? I think a lot of times what happens in church is like we want to go over there because they want to tell me something new. We want to go into that place or whatever. You know, tell me something different. And yeah, you know, it's kind of cool when you hear something novel or you hear something new. But but God will kind of like a lot of times just bring us back to the basics like, are you an obedient person? Are, are you like obedient? Why are you looking for something new until you, you can't even get this one? Are, are you praying? Are you seeking me? See, are you allowing the Lord to do the work? Remember what I was talking about earlier? It's not just for your pastors or your teachers. It's also for you. Are you letting Jesus change your life? Remember, we we're talking about Jerusalem. Nobody could conquer it. Nobody could conquer it until David comes along. And then David, he conquered it. You can't conquer it. He can't conquer it. She can't conquer it. That won't conquer it. Jesus will conquer it. But you just got to let him. You got to go like, like blind Bartimaeus did. I mean, he knew he couldn't heal his own sight. And so he cried out, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. Hey, stop praying. You know, stop believing. Lord, have mercy on me. And he cried louder. And Jesus did the work, right? That's where we need to be, you guys. Um, Bartimaeus had faith to pray. And Bartimaeus had faith to believe that Jesus could help him. That's where we need to be. 
You know, if we return, God will just do this work, man. Verse 17, and now he gets to Solomon. As for you, there's the word if again. If you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. There's a word if. You know, my encouragement to you is to listen to the Lord. I believe that He's always, you know, posting or speaking His marching orders. I think most of the time, however, we're not listening. You know, I believe that, not a blanket statement, but I believe fathers will impact their sons. Just like David impacted Solomon. And here the Lord says, Solomon, if you do what's right, you will impact your sons. It will be a dynasty, right? In verse 19, but if you turn away and forsake my statutes, now the word you there in that passage is plural, so he's speaking now to the whole congregation, the nation, and my commandments which I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land which I have given them and the house which I have sanctified for my name I will cast out of my sight. I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is so fancy-smancy, exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished. And they'll say, what has the Lord done this? Why has he done this to this land and this house? And then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. It's a heavy warning, you guys. It really is. I just, I just want to share with you guys, man, it's not your behavior in the sense that I don't want you to think that, that you're saved by your works. You're not. But here's the thing that I, I really want to maybe simplify it in this way. It's, it's the way you believe. I mean, it's the way you believe. Do you still believe in Jesus? Will you continue to believe in Jesus with all your heart? Will He always Will He always be your Lord and Savior? Will you always hold on to Jesus? Will you always make Him number one? The love of your life. Because the way you believe determines the way you behave. And John chapter 15, it says, Jesus said, you know, I am the vine and you are the branches. And He just says, abide in Me. You know, because here's at the end of the day, number one, I want you to go to heaven, not hell. And number two, my prayer is that whatever it is that God has for you in this life, that you will, man, that you will, you will realize it by having lived a life that was completely dedicated 
जय हिंद